Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody out today. Full house. First time preaching, so that's good. No, no, no pressure. Yes, yeah, sir. All right, so we'll start off. A couple of years ago, Pastor Chad invited me along with Joey Bodie to, um, to start a men's uh, Bible study fellowship on uh, Friday mornings. Uh, we meet early at Dunkin' Donuts at the time. Uh, it's the first time I'd ever done anything like that. But what we were doing was we would take, just like we do here in service, we would take an exposition, we'd go through the Bible, we'd take a book, a book we would, um, and then it was, uh, Pastor Chad took the first one, I took, or Joey took the second one, and then it was my turn. And uh, that was a little bit unnerving because here I was, just little old me, sitting at, across the table from two trained, seminary-educated uh, pastors. So here I was trying to teach the teachers. And uh, that was a little bit, uh, you know, so <laughs> kind of the same thing today. So here, here we go. Um, over time, some of the group members moved away and new ones moved in. Um, but it's because of their leadership and the time that they've sacrificed and invested in my life that I can stand here today and preach God's word to you. Not that I have attained perfection, far from it, but I stand here an imperfect man, obedient to the call of God, to go, teach, and make disciples to the best of my ability. So let's dig in. Please turn your Bibles to Philippians 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one in front of you. You can turn to page 1249. You'll find it there. We've got a little time before you need to get there, so take your time. So is there a difference between happiness and joy? Is there a difference between happiness and joy? Let's think about that. So what does it mean to be happy? And you could say, I'm happy I got an A on that test. I'm happy that a new restaurant opened down the street. I'm happy my 10-year-old car still runs reliably. And I am very happy with that. Or I'm happy that they brought back the half-price milkshakes that's on it. <laughs> Full disclosure, after 8 p.m. at limited uh, restaurants, for a limited time only, I participate in restaurants. All right. Let's define happiness. According to Webster's Dictionary, happiness is a state of well-being, a pleasurable or satisfying experience. And I could definitely say a half-price chocolate fudge milkshake is better than a full-price one. Makes me happy. So what does it mean to have joy? Well, parents could say spending time with the kids or grandkids brings them great joy. Watching them grow. Teachers could say... I find joy knowing that I'm shaping young minds and giving them something they'll carry with them the rest of their lives. According to dictionary.com, joy is defined as the emotion of great delight caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying or elation. So they sound kind of the same, but they're different. So what's the difference? So if Sarah were to get up here and say, let's stand Turn in your hymnals to hymn number seven. Happy, 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 we like thee. That just doesn't have the same ring as joyful, joyful, we adore thee. So it's got a, it's a deeper, it's a richer meaning. It's a long-lasting. Uh, it means much more. So joy is a long-lasting thing where happiness is fleeting. Now my mom has accused me 
um, in the past of uh, not necessarily being the most uh, humble of people at times. Um, but I think she'd agree with me when I say this. I cook the best steaks in the world. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, most times when I go to a restaurant, I'll, I'll look at the menu. They've got a steak, and I'm real skeptical about it because I don't want to be disappointed, and usually I am. Um, but I'm, I'm left feeling disappointed and, and overcharged. Well, two years ago, I was on a business trip in Indianapolis. Uh, we were looking for a restaurant to go to that was close to our hotel. So we, uh, we asked around and went online and checked the reviews, and we found this place that was called Harry and Izzy's. And uh, it was an odd blend of white linen tablecloths and crystal uh, on, the gla- on, the, on, the, on the table and a sports bar feel. So it was a really weird little setup. But anyhow, they had, um, they had great reviews, and we had several people say, you've got to try the steak. So while we were waiting to be seated, I was looking over the menu, seeing what they had. And of course, they had a ribeye. And I was like, well, you know, here we go. And I'm hoping that it, you know, I, I don't order it, and then I feel like I felt so many times before, unsatisfied and overcharged. So the waitress comes up, she's uh, going over the specials, and then I stopped her. I said, well, did you say a 65-day aged, dry-aged ribeye? And she said, yeah. I said, well, that's what I'm having, because I've never had one before. So I ordered it, and uh, again, hoping I wouldn't be disappointed. Well, the moment arrived, and she set that huge slice of meat in front of me, and then I cut into it, and it was just perfect juices ran out it was cooked just the way I liked it so far everything was perfect as the fork neared my mouth I couldn't help but wonder if I was going to just be another disappointment then the steak touched my lips and at that moment I realized something I cooked the second best steak in the world <laughs> anybody hungry yet? alright so what is it what does all this have to do with happiness and joy well it's simple in that moment, I was extremely happy with my choice. That I, that I, uh, with my choice, and the feeling, and that feeling remained till the steak was all gone, to the last bite. But quickly, it faded. It was a temporary thing. It made me happy at the time, but it didn't have any long-lasting, joyful effects in my life. While happiness and joy both convey good feelings, happiness is temporary, while joy runs much deeper and lasts much longer. The concept of rejoicing or joy appears 16 times in the short book of uh, Philippians, just four chapters. Uh, It's Paul's letter of joy to a people he was very affectionate towards. It is a letter of great love and encouragement. As a side note, Philippians is one of my favorite books, always has been. Um, Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison. Uh, I've always found great comfort in how uh, terrible his circumstances were, but how positive he was. And it wasn't about self, it was about others. And I find great encouragement in that. Uh, So no matter his circumstances, uh, it didn't detract him from witnessing to the lost. So if Paul finds himself in prison, he sees it as a gain. That's what he said. He said, everything I count as a loss. You know, you would certainly think that your freedom is a loss. He counted it as a game because then it gave him an opportunity to witness to so many new people that he, he had, would have never had the opportunity to before. So that's a great way to, to, uh, to look at it from a perspective point. One of the favorite things that Pastor Chaz is, uh, that I said that I have a problem sometimes getting things in my mouth engages before the brain does. 
One of my favorite sayings that Pastor Chad says is, let's open our Bibles and let's feast on the Word. So if you've turned to Philippians 3, stand with me as we read from the Word of God and feast on His Word. Alright, Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity today to stand here, just a simple man. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would anoint these lips, uh, that you would give me your words to say and not mine, that you would fill it, uh, these words in the hearts of these folks here, that they can take these truths that we're about to, to un unpack here and just uh, apply it to their lives in a meaningful and lasting way. Lord, I pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Maybe see you. So three things we're going to find here in chapter 3. First, happiness is a worldly or in the worldly body. Second, joy in the Christian body. And thirdly, contentment in the broken body. All right, there it is right there in verse 1. Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice is a verb. It requires action. Rejoicing is a deep feeling. It's not a whimsical or something that, that changes easily with the mood. It's grounded. It's solid. It's firm. It's resolute. In order to rejoice in something, we must first have the conviction of joy in our hearts. And joy comes through knowing Christ. This brings us to our first point. Happiness in the worldly body. It's a question. 
Can you have happiness without Christ? Well, sure you can. You can live a happy life. You can have nice things, nice cars, lots of friends, be well-respected by your peers. You can be happy by the world standards while on this earth, but there are a lot of happy people who are lost and don't know the joy that is in Christ and that will die and go to hell. Paul warns the Philippians to be vigilant. Look at verse 2 again. It says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Well, Paul knows that there are those out there consumed with hate that mean to do harm to the church. There are those who are sly and cunning, wicked and vile, those who murder and destroy the body. Beware of the wolves in sheep's clothing. Paul says, look out, be watchful, be on guard against these people. So people are just uh, wicked and evil intentioned toward each other, or some people are. However, some like Paul, before his conversion, are just blindly evil. Look ahead to verse 4. Paul says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says here, ha, you think you've done something, just look at all what I've accomplished. You know, I've done everything by the book. I've kept the law without fault. Look at my trophies. Look at all these plaques on the wall. Look at the positions I've held amongst the leaders. I've done everything the right way. I'm blameless. Paul's delivering his resume of all the things that he has accomplished. He's saying, I'm enough. I don't need Jesus. I'm successful without him. He's also saying, yeah, but that's the old Paul. So the second point, joy in the Christian body. The old Paul put his confidence in the worldly body, but the new Paul put his his confidence in the Christian body. Look back for a moment at verse 3. For we are the circumcision, the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is setting himself and the Philippians apart from the world here. He's declaring they know that that it's through the power of Christ that they find joy in life. Let's get back ahead to verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Did you catch that? Rubbish, garbage, trash. All the trophies, possessions, accolades, positions, all thrown away. And for what? To know Christ. The value and lasting joy that comes from a relationship in the Christian body with Jesus Christ is far more valuable than any earthly treasure. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So take a moment and ask yourself this question. When you look at your life and inventory your possessions, what do you see? Where are your treasures being stored? Our third point, contentment in the broken body. Now let's continue looking at verse 9. Paul continues, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We're reminded here that it is impossible to gain salvation on our own or through any ritualistic act or obeying the old law. The only way to salvation is through the faith in the broken body of Jesus Christ, God's Son, who was sent to this earth to live a spotless and perfect life, the ultimate sacrificial lamb to fulfill the old law and usher in the new covenant through the spilling of his blood on the cross. Paul was beaten repeatedly, flogged, chased, forced to roam, imprisoned twice, and he did it all so that he may know Christ. Why would a man willingly endure such hardships? It just doesn't make sense to us. Because we have the promise as believers that we too will share in the resurrection of Christ, fulfilling our purpose to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So to conclude, we are left with some inspiring and challenging words. Let's look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. What we see here is Paul is continually striving toward perfection. To be like Christ is his goal. 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, meaning he hasn't been perfected yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. When I was at college, a very close friend of mine from high school would send me letters and cards in the mail. Uh, she did this pretty regularly. It was always nice to get letters from home. Uh, every every uh, letter she'd send, she'd put a little little verse down at the bottom. And this letter I got was no exception. I looked down there, said Philippians 3.13. Looked it up, read the scripture, and, uh, and, and, and read 3.13. I'd like to share a little of my testimony at this point. I was brought up in the church. I was involved in every group, ensemble, and activity imaginable. A lot of times I didn't want to be. Uh, when I went to college, I visited a couple of churches, but never really got plugged in there, so I wanted to go to church when I went home. I started making some choices that I wasn't particularly proud of. I realized the choices I were making were sometimes hurtful and harmful to others and to myself. But instead of turning from those choices, I continued on. I got to a point where I knew I needed to make changes and felt guilty. Almost like I was too far gone. I had hurt people that I would have to face 
And I thought, and the thought of that scared me more than my own sin. I felt like the prodigal son must have felt. It was during this time in my life that I received that letter from her. I read the verse over and over again. The words, forget what's behind, kept ringing in my ears. Forget what's behind. Forget what's behind. Forget what's behind. What I heard in those words was, it didn't matter what I'd done. It was all in the past. Those days were behind me. Over and done with. Forget them. I slowly came to the realization that I just needed to repent and ask for forgiveness. The next part of the verse really started to haunt me. Strain forward to what lies ahead. Strain. That sounded like work. And it is. Now I would love to tell you that I changed my ways, and I did somewhat. But these verses became a turning point in, for my, uh, in my life several years later. <clears throat> While I was home uh, visiting several weeks after I received her letter, I went to my friend started telling her about how thankful I was that she had sent that verse. We got to talking. She looked a little bit puzzled and confused. So she took out her Bible and looked it up, and she says, Oh, well, that's not the one I meant to send. I was like, Well, <laughs> Lord works in mysterious ways. Um, while I was preparing for this uh, several weeks ago, it was I was struggling with what verses to, uh, uh, what passage to, to bring to the sermon. Um, and just talking with Sarah through a text chat, she was asking me how I decided uh, so she could co- help coordinate the music. And I told her, no, I hadn't. I was kind of struggling back and forth. And then I got one text back from her, and it said, press forward. You got this, or something like that. But press forward. Nobody talks like that. But these are the words that's right here in the scripture. So right then in that moment, I was like, well, that's what we're going to do. But God uses these little mistakes or these people that don't even know that they're, they're communicating God to you. He, he uses us. So just be mindful of that. Don't shy away. If you see somebody that needs, that you just feel like you need to go talk to them, there's probably a reason why, you need, why you're feeling that feeling. We conclude with verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. All right, imagine this. For years you've enjoyed your little girl splashing and playing in the pool. One day she comes out, she's out of the blue and just says, Daddy, I want to be an Olympic uh, swimmer. So the next thing you know, you're loading up the car and you yell out, Don't forget your swimmies. She rolls her eyes and said, Dad, we don't use swimmies in the Olympics. So you're on your way to your very first swimming. She looks so pretty there at the edge of the pool. All the other girls stretching and adjusting their caps and warming up. And she's sitting there waving at me, just trying to get your attention. Hey, take a picture. Then the announcer comes on. He says, all your marks. Get set. And the horn blows. Splash. Into the pool they go. You're so proud, cheering your little girl on. In almost no time, the other girls pull away and she comes in last place. Did we expect any different outcome from this story? Of course not. You can't simply wake up one morning and expect to compete at the same level with others who have been doing this for a long time. So, what do we glean from this story? Well, first, you must set realistic goals. Second, 
Develop a training strategy that meets those goals. Third, train, work hard, compete, strain to meet those goals. And fourth and most importantly, realize that success can be found in the failures. Thomas Edison said this about his struggles inventing the light bulb. I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. He also said, Many of life's failures are people who didn't realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Oftentimes, new Christians who are fresh and on fire for God get discouraged when they don't see the the instant results they're looking for because they've set unrealistic goals. The same thing could be said for mature Christians too. The unique thing about the Christian race is we're not competing against each other. We are all striving to win an equal share of the prize. So if we contrast a worldly body and a Christian body, a worldly race, there's only one winner, right? Sometimes sometimes you get trophies for participation, but there's only one winner. (laughs) In a Christian race, we struggle together. You know, if our brother falls down, we go back and we help him up so we can win together. We don't leave him behind. There's a difference between the world and Christians. So what is this goal we read about in verse 14? And what is the prize? The goal is to strive to be like Christ. The prize is waiting at the finish line for us. We can't claim the prize if we don't run the race. We can't claim the prize if we start the race but don't finish. We must finish the race in order to claim the prize. So what is the prize for a Christian who has shed his worldly body, put on his Christian body, and found contentment in the broken body of Christ? It is that we get to experience the resurrection of our earthly bodies when he calls us upward to glorify him for eternity. Let's back up briefly to verse 13. When it talks about forgetting what's behind, does that mean that we get to forget only the bad things we've done? While that's true, there's another perspective to consider. Forgetting what's behind means everything. Not just the bad stuff. So all the time you kept nursery or taught Sunday school or helped feed a neighbor in need or a homeless person, all those things we're supposed to forget too. Why is that? Because that was yesterday. Verse 13 tells us we are to forget what's behind. Yesterday is behind us. We are not issued good deeds cards when we're saved. Ten punches and you get into heaven. It's not the way it works. I've heard some older people comment something like this. I've done my time. I've put in my work. Now it's time for the younger people to do the heavy lifting. The Bible says we are never... To stop trying. We are to strive always. It also charges the older men and women to instruct and correct the younger. So the question is this. If you have a God-given talent to sing and you choose not to share it. If you can teach but do not. If you can play an instrument but do not. If you can pray but do not. Are you being obedient And a good steward of the talents God has given and entrusted to you. 
Paul, God's chosen instrument, freely admitted he had reached the goal and that he must strive daily to win the prize. It's clear we can never quit the race and expect to win the prize. So what does this mean for you and me? We must continue to serve others daily. We must continue to use our God-given gifts and talents to glorify Him. In closing, remember it's never too late to ask for forgiveness. Too late to repent and too late to, to believe. If you are a believer, as long as you're still on this earth, we are still running the race to win the prize of Christ Jesus. He's there at the finish line cheering us on. Don't stop short of it. The prize is worth all we have. Every possession, every treasure, every ounce of strength that's left in our body. Have you ever noticed the way that Jesus left this earth on the cross and how he'll receive us back? With open arms. He's there. Finish the race. Come on, finish the race. That's the prize. That's why we run the race as Christians. I pray when my race is over, I'll take one last step across the finish line. I'll be greeted in the cheering arms of a proud father saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord, you are mighty. You are awesome. You are forgiving. Lord, I thank you for all that. I thank you for sending your son to this earth to die for our sins on a cross. That that blood would cover the sins of all of us that would call on your name. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to stand here today. That while I hope that these words inspired those out there, it certainly inspired my heart. And I consider it a gain to have done it. Lord, I pray that you would be with us now as we leave this place in just a few moments, that we would uh, just take what we've learned, apply it to our lives, and effect good, positive change in all those around us. It is through the joy of knowing the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen.